Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is February 24th, 2020, and with me, as always, to regularly review the week ahead is my remarkable, reflective, reliable friend and someone I really recommend, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Hi, April. Hello, Jen. I hear what you did there. You were bringing in some Mercury retrograde language, weren't you? I was trying to bring in words that started with R-E. Well, I don't think you left too many of them out. <laughs> I left a few out. I think that was a broad retrospective of words Lovely. that begin with R-E. Very nice. Well, then, Very how nice. are you doing with this Mercury retrograde, Jen? We should confess to everyone, although our regular listeners know this, R-E, <laughs> that we record about a week in advance. Record. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my brain is a little bit Piscean these days. How about you? How's your week been? Yes, it has been very much that way. Mercury in Pisces and Mercury stationing. So just before it turns retrograde and about maybe three or four days before you really start to notice this, yeah. it's really getting slow. It's slowing down. We call it stationing. And then it just sort of stands still. And that's where we've been for the last couple of days. So even though Mercury hasn't technically been retrograde for you and I, it has been definitely feeling that way. And my brain has been so spongy. Hmm. And even doing, I taught at the beginning of last week's episode about the difficulty that I was having writing my weekly column and even doing the images. And it was even worse this week. And it really surprised me because I think a Pisces is very imaginative and image-centric. Yeah. So I would have figured doing the artwork would have come even more easily than usual, and it has not. Hmm. What do you make of that? I think maybe it's because it's normally a Piscean way of thinking gathering impressions and making them into nonverbal content, into images. I think because that's the norm for that, that that gets turned on its head a little bit than when Mercury is retrograde. But whatever it's been, holy moly, it has been a tough week. It has been tough. Let me ask you something. I have read that people who are born with Mercury retrograde are less affected during times when Mercury retrograde affects the general population because they're used to that energy. It actually feels kind of quote unquote normal to them. Yeah, I think they're affected, but in the opposite way. So what I used to see with students was they were much more keen and acute when Mercury was retrograde, if they were born with Mercury retrograde, Mm -hmm. because it did suit the way their mind normally works. Yeah. And then it occurred to me this morning, do you think people that were born with Mercury in Pisces are also less affected right now? To some extent, because of what you said. Yeah. If it's the norm for you to have the kind of mind that doesn't want to track on the straight and narrow, that wants to wander around a bit, that's more imaginative. I would think everybody's kind of on your wavelength if we're all dealing with it at the same time by transit. So you'd have to explain yourself so much, maybe, Uh (laughs) normally with with your little Mercury and Pisces. You mentioned Lady Gaga last week, who was born with Mercury retrograde in Pisces. So perhaps all of this energy right now just feels real natural to her, you know, really. Yeah, probably. She's like, what is everyone talking about? (laughs) Doesn't everybody do it this way? (laughs) And it has been a weird combination with that Mars and Capricorn. And we talked about that last week of, 
all of those Capricorn planets, but especially Mars, it's so strong in Capricorn and Mm -hmm. really wants to take the world by storm and has all these things it wants to do. I start every day thinking of about five things that I really want to get done in the day apart from my regular work. And by the end of the day, (laughs) by about one or two o'clock, I can barely keep my eyes open. I've got to take a nap (laughs) because I'm just not functioning at all. So it's like I start the day with Mars and Capricorn. And by about two in the afternoon, it's Pisces, man. It's all Pisces all the time at that point. So that's been this week. There's a guy named Leo Babauta who runs a blog called zenhabits.net. Have you heard of him? I've seen something that has Zen in the title, and that might be a really popular website. He says that it's helpful to start your day with your three most important things that you want to get done for the day. And I'll try to find this and link it in the show notes. It's hard, though, when you start the day with five, huh, April? (laughs) Well, five is my favorite number, so. (laughs) Oh, is it? Yes, It's always going to start with five. But if I can do three, I'm feeling pretty lucky these days. How come five is your favorite number? Probably because it's my birthday. August 5th. Yeah. How do you feel about eight? I love eight. I think eight's fantastic. (laughs) It's supposed to be a money number. Mm. I don't know much about numerology, but somebody told me that one time. I like the way eight and five look together. I do too. If you set them side by side with their round little bottoms. Yes. Are we going to get an explicit rating on this one? Talking about numbers. Yes. Well, this week, to further compound the Mercury-Pisces retrograde situation, we have Mercury making a conjunction with the sun, what's called an inferior conjunction. So that happens on February 25th. Does inferior conjunction mean that Mercury is conjuncting the sun between the Earth and the sun? Yes. And the other one is the superior conjunction. Which is when Mercury joins up with the sun on the other side of the sun, on the side that we can't see from Earth. Correct. What can you tell us about Mercury's inferior conjunction, April? Well, Mercury in a conjunction with the sun is probably something we've spoken about before. Yes. But Mercury is supposed to be the ways that we express. So if we say that the sun is supposed to be the symbol of self-expression, then Mercury is the mouthpiece for that. Mouthpiece doesn't make it sound very positive, but I work with this (laughs) lovely lady who posts my social media content. She's doing the Mercury function for my son. Mm -hmm. My son is doing the creation of all of that content. But she's the Mercury figure that goes out and puts it in the right places and makes sure that everything's the way it should be. It gets the word out. So the deal when Mercury is really close to the sun, and I know we've had this discussion in some way or another, is that it can lead to a little bit too much subjectivity. Yes. And Mercury is always close to the sun. His job is always to do, you know, the bidding of the sun to some extent. But the closer it is, the harder it is for us to see beyond our own noses, to see the forest for the trees. Now, the exception is at the very moment of the conjunction okay, or within a few minutes of it, 15 minutes of it or something, when Mercury would then be in a state that we refer to as Kazemi. And it just means that it's really, really then basking in the glow of the sun and really gaining a lot of energy and a lot of strength and power from its proximity to the sun. Mm. But generally speaking, it's a day, it'll be February 25th, when we just have to beware of being a little too subjective and a little bit too sure about what we think we know about something. 
because it's possible that we're telling ourselves what we want to hear. One thing that we've alluded to, but I don't know if we've said it really clearly, and maybe it's just the fact that Mercury's in Pisces these days. (laughs) Nothing feels clear. Is that when planets meet up with each other, they really start a new cycle together, don't they? Correct. So, for example, we've had a lot of big conjunctions, a lot of big meetups in the last month that we've been talking about. And one important thing to keep in mind is that when Saturn came together with Pluto, they started a new cycle together. Even now, when Mercury comes together with the sun, they're starting a new cycle together. Yeah. And we see that every month when the sun and the moon come together at the new moon. Yeah. And that's the reason we talk a lot each week about the lunar cycle, about the major lunar aspect with the sun that week. It's the template. It's the prototype of all these planetary cycles. It begins when the two are together in a conjunction, the new phase. And then a quarter of the way through its cycle, there's a square. So there's some awareness, there's some conflict, there is a moment of having to push to the next level. Then there is the oppositional point from where they started in their cycle. Mm -hmm. And that gives a sense of awareness of where we are relative to where we started. And then there is sort of what we would call the last quarter, where they're in the last part of the cycle. And it's a time for reviewing and thinking about and meditating on what you've done up to now and how you might do things differently moving forward. So that's a predictable cycle. Yeah. And when I'm working with students, I always start out with the sun-moon cycle, the lunar cycle, because it is the template of all of these other cycles. So the sun and Mercury, you know, Venus with Mars, all of them, they start out at the conjunction And we'll talk later in this podcast about Venus with Pluto, for instance. Thank you. It just occurred to me that some people might not realize that this happens every time two planets come together. Right. And they have what they call a synodic cycle. Mm -hmm. And it's based on how long it takes the two of them to come together. So Saturn and Pluto, for instance, it's somewhere around 35 years. But because Pluto's orbit is kind of erratic, it's not as precise as some cycles. So we know, like, for instance, Jupiter and Saturn, to use an example, come together every 20 years. And is there something different about planets starting together in that particular sign? If we took Saturn and Pluto as an example and Capricorn coming together, it's been 500 years since they've been together in Capricorn. Yeah. Jupiter and Saturn, everybody's excited because they're coming together this year in Aquarius. Mm. And it's been a very long time since they came together in an air sign. They've been at Earth signs coming together. So it's kind of a big deal that they're coming together this time in an air sign. It's really different. At what point on the zodiac wheel are Mercury and the Sun coming together? They are together at 6 degrees and 55 minutes of Pisces. Okay. All right. Moon watch. Yeah, what's happening with the moon this week? What can you tell us? Well, what's not happening with moon watch is I still don't have a theme song for it. Okay, that's not happening. So We're on mm-hmm. moon watch theme watch. <laughs> At this point. But this week, we don't have a major lunation. We don't have a newer full moon or a quarter moon. And it just happens to fall on the first day of the next week. Yeah. So we will be looking ahead to that. But what we do have this week is in particular a couple of days when the moon will be in Aries, the morning of the 25th through the evening of the 27th. Why is that important? Well, it's important because it triggers a lot of planets in the sky right now in a not necessarily salubrious way, we'd say. Mm. It will make a conjunction to that Venus in Aries, but it's also going to make square aspects to everything in Capricorn, Yeah, which includes Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto. The moon talks about our daily rhythm, how things tend to work out. So when it's in a particular sign, as it's moving through and aspecting all of the planets in turn, 
we can get a sense of whether it's going to be a fairly easy, flowing couple of days or if it's going to be a little rockier. Okay. And this definitely stands out this week <laughs> as two and a half days that are a little more challenging. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can say if because you've been having so much trouble cutting through all this Piscean fog, mm-hmm. this can be a day when you're able to work through it. And if the fog doesn't completely lift, at least you're able to really make some progress and just by sheer grit and determination, push your way through and get someplace. But don't expect it to go smoothly. And if I'm not mistaken, the moon makes some kind of contact with Saturn and Pluto every week, right? It's either conjuncting, squaring, opposing, or doing the final square. Right. And that's what happens when you have so many planets together in one sign, then this is what you're going to see. If the moon is going through, in this case, Aries or Libra, it's going to be making squares to everything in Capricorn. If it's in Cancer, it's opposing all of those planets. Mm -hmm. That's just a consequence of having lots of planets together in one place. And it's true in somebody's birth chart, too. You have a lot of things in Libra. So whenever a big planet comes along, Saturn being in Capricorn, it's going to square a lot of things in your chart. And Pluto has done the same thing, and now Jupiter and now Mars. And I have lots of stuff in Leo, so the same thing happens to me if things are in Leo, Aquarius, Taurus, or Scorpio. Uh That goes back to that cyclical thing we were talking about at the top of the episode. Yeah, totally. It all comes back. The moon moves into Gemini on March 1st. I looked that up. Will that help bring the air element to us since we discussed last week that we don't have any air happening in the skies right now? When the moon is in Gemini for those two and a half days, will that help lift things a little bit? Yes, there is always the moon in the air signs in Gemini, in Libra, and Aquarius to lift our soil, to aerate our soil. Yeah, totally. To go for it. (laughs) Go for broke. (laughs) And now I'm just picturing what an acute little costume. It's go for baroque. It's a cute little baroque (laughs) outfit. Listen to episode 13 if you'd like to hear about the gophers in April's backyard. Oh my God, it's a scene back there. It's a scene. All right. So that's the moon. Anything else about the moon? Not really. I'm looking ahead now to this Sun-Mars node configuration that's happening. Yeah. Around the same time, actually, as this moon in Aries. On February 24th, we have the sun in a sextile to Mars. And then on the 25th, it is trying the lunar nodes. And Mars is on the south node as well on February 25th. Mm-hmm. It's just a little glom of stuff coming together there. So the sun's sextile Mars is the one that comes first on the 24th. And always sextiles are about opportunities that come forward. And this is something about an ability to express yourself more fully, perhaps in your work, because Mars is a work-oriented planet. And in all that you do, bringing some hint more of yourself or of your creativity. Mm-hmm. I had an interesting comment on one of my blog posts. It was on the full moon in Leo. In that essay, I was talking about how Leo urges us to be fully present in the world, to shine our light, to be seen, to share our joy. And somebody wrote a really good comment. She said, it's really scary to do that in this day and age, particularly for women, because you do leave yourself open to a certain amount of negativity. Yeah. When we think about getting out there and expressing ourselves and being seen in the world, there are all these opportunities to put yourself out there, your creativity, your ideas. But there is some hesitation that comes with that because you can be afraid Mm -hmm. that you'll get negative reactions. So the sun's sextile with Mars, to me, just brought that image to mind of how you have the opportunity 
to go ahead and do it anyway, even if you feel that there is a possibility of negativity coming back to you. You have to take the normal precautions that you would take. You have to be a little careful about that. But mostly, if you have learned to protect yourself in the world, to stand up for yourself, then go ahead and let your sun shine a little bit. The opportunity is there. That's what the sextile says. So it seems like a small fleeting aspect, and it really kind of is. But it brought up for me a lot of really interesting stuff because at the same time, the sun is making a trine to the lunar node, which is a really lovely aspect. Yeah. And that to me says something about getting out of the comfort zone and moving in the direction of where we really need to be going. And the same is true of Mars on the South Node on February 25th. The South Node, again, is an evolutionary point that talks about this is what to let go of. This is what's holding you back right now from growth. So anytime we have the Mars there, it's like getting kicked out of the nest. If you've been living at home for too long, Mars comes along and says, no, you can grow. You can get out there and do a little bit more for yourself. Letting go of what's toxic and no longer serves sometimes is a lot easier said than done. Boy, isn't it ever. Yeah. And Mars being there, I can say probably with the South Node, we're thinking more about internalized messages of aggression and of anger Mm. and the ways that we're punitive to ourselves. I remember a conversation we had on a very early episode where I had been saying something crappy about myself and you said, oh, no, no, in my household, now you have to say three three nice things. things And I think that's a good exercise to keep in mind this week is the Mars is on the South Node. It says, leave it behind and let go of self-anger and self-aggression and make friends with yourself in a new way and instead use that Mars to be protective. Language is so important. Language really shapes thoughts and thoughts shape actions. Yeah. And I think about this whole Mars on the South Node thing and letting go of anger and aggression and perhaps some people are internalizing some of that and feeling that. There's this quote I really like. It goes, I sat with my anger long enough until she told me her name was grief. Mm. And I know working with kids sometimes, I would say mad is really sad's bodyguard. (laughs) I love that way of thinking of that, especially with the South Node, which is a lunar place. Yeah. If you think about it, anger is always the feeling that something isn't fair. Dig down into that and get to what is it that I feel is unfair. Mm, Yeah, injustice. That's right. Yeah. There's a book I really like by Byron Katie called Loving What Is, Mm -hmm. where she works you through questions about getting to the quote unquote truth, the reality of what's happening around you. I'd really recommend that book, especially this week, as you were just talking about this Mars on the South Node stuff. That's a great idea. Yeah. I think it would really apply. I'll link it in the show notes. That's a good recommendation. Yeah. So it's quite an interesting week. Yeah. So Mars is going to be passing over the point of the December solar eclipse at four degrees of Capricorn. Mm-hmm. Is stuff from December 25th going to be coming back to us this coming week as Mars passes over that point? It would be early in the week. That's definitely what we would call an activation point to the eclipse. Okay. And the way some people feel about eclipses when you see results of them manifest. One of the things that we'll say is look to the faster moving planets and see when they cross that point. Mm. And what you will see is some experience of what the eclipse was trying to show you. I see. So I would say go back to our episode unboxing eclipses and read more about that. And based on where four degrees of Capricorn falls in your chart and of its aspecting planets, Even if nothing in particular that was striking happened at the time of the eclipse, this would be one of those times probably that, yes, you're seeing some kind of fallout from that. 
or a message coming to you from that time, something unresolved. And that's always true again with Mercury retrograde, that we're supposed to go back and look and think about what hasn't necessarily gotten completed or been resolved since the last retrograde. Okay. So that's a very good point. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. (laughs) I'm here to ask questions. You're here to explain them. (laughs) I'm doing my best. (laughs) You're doing a lovely job. Yeah, and you're doing a great job too. So thank you. (laughs) Well, and speaking of Venus, because we're just being very Venusian with each other here. Yes. Venus is square Pluto this week on February 28th at 2.08 p.m. Pacific time. Okay. Speaking of going back to previous moments, and particularly in December, on December 13th, Venus made a conjunction with Pluto. So again, they were together in the same degree of the same sign. So they were starting a new synodic cycle with each other. And it's a cycle that will be a little under a year, probably, to complete. Sure. There was the conjunction then where they came together. We talked about Venus entering the bad neighborhood with the sharks and the jets. But she was a tough cookie because it was Venus and Capricorn, of course, at that time. Well, Venus is now in Aries, and she's no slouch either. She can take care of herself as she starts to move towards all of these planets in Capricorn. Captain Marvel. Yes. And making a square to Pluto this week. So this is the first point of conflict in the cycle that began then. Okay. And again, conflict is not necessarily the best word because it instantly makes us think somebody's fighting with somebody. That may be a characteristic this week in relationships, personal relationships. But I think it can also just be about awareness of something. So it can be awareness, for instance, of difficult patterns in relationship that we need to figure out and figure out how to deal with them a little better. Or power struggles. Definitely power struggles. Pluto, I think of as power. Power and control. So Control, yeah. To the extent that control is an issue for somebody in relationships, this is an important square this week. And going back to around the middle of December and thinking what was happening relationship-wise. Venus, of course, is also about money. Yeah. And the two are really closely associated. Venus square Pluto can be a moment where you come to some new awareness about what you're trying to achieve on a financial level. It may feel that that stuff isn't very satisfying to you at the moment. You're not where you need to be. You don't have enough coming in or you're having to pay too many taxes or something. And the point that we're trying to get to, I think, with Venus square Pluto is, how can you take back your power in this area? Right. I have a friend who has Venus in Aries who will probably hear this episode, and she's been having some pretty tough aspects to her chart from Pluto. But her feeling about money is that it's all about energy. It's all about transfers of energy. And if you can remove the obstructions (laughs) that you have energetically around money, then it should flow better. Mm -hmm. But definitely money stuff will be on a lot of people's minds right now because we're getting closer to tax season here in the U.S. at least and figuring out how to deal with that stuff. Yeah. But definitely a big week for relationships. Anytime we have Venus connecting with the big planets, Saturn and Pluto and so forth, it's a biggie. So then when Venus opposes Pluto, that'll be another point, right, April? Yeah. If we're looking forward, that'll be another point then where we're coming back to this story, the Mm -hmm. same story that started when Venus met Pluto on December 13th. Right. Because when they met in December, it was like a new moon. I mean, it was not a moon, but the new cycle. Yeah. It's a new story starting. Yeah. And right now we're at the first quarter, which is the point in a cycle where we have to take some kind of action. Yeah. Because things are uncomfortable or we feel in this case out of control or unappreciated or as though we're not being compensated properly for what we're putting out in the world. 
Then when we get to the opposition between them, it'll be like a full moon, Mm -hmm. like the full part of the cycle where we gain some new awareness and we can really see the place where we started in a new light. There are four acts in this play and we're approaching intermission number one. (laughs) Let's go out to the lobby. Let's go out to the lobby. I think we have to put a link to that little ad in the show notes. It's one of my favorites. Uh, Okay, cool. Now, you said that you would like us to talk about rulerships today. Yes. So my main question, which got me thinking about all this rulership stuff, is that I was thinking about the planets and where they all are located in the zodiac wheel right now. And it occurred to me that all planets right now are either answering to Saturn and Capricorn or Neptune and Pisces. I'm thinking through them in my mind. Here, I'm going to go through them really quickly. We have the sun in Pisces, which answers to Neptune in Pisces. The moon, we already said, changes signs every two and a half days. So that varies a little bit. Mercury is in Pisces, answering to Neptune in Pisces. Venus is in Aries, answering to Mars in Capricorn, answering to Saturn in Capricorn. Mars and Jupiter and Pluto are all in Capricorn, answering to Saturn in Capricorn. Uranus is in Taurus, answering to Venus. Venus is in Aries, answering to Mars, answering to Saturn in Capricorn. My big question is, what does it all mean? Do tell. Well, first of all, I use traditional rulerships. So I would not ascribe rulership to Neptune. Okay. So I would say that everything that it's in Pisces is instead ruled by Jupiter, which is ruled by Saturn and Capricorn. Okay. So really, it all comes back to Saturn at this point. So what you're talking about is it combines rulerships also with the idea of what we call dispositors. So one planet is disposed by another. What does that mean, one planet is disposed by another? Just that Venus is in Aries answering to Saturn and Capricorn? Correct. If you have, for instance, only one planet in the chart that is in the sign of its rulership, it's what we call the final dispositor. Okay. Because everything in the chart will come back to that planet in just Mm -hmm. the way you described. Yeah. And if you have two planets that are in the rulership, then you have two dispositors, basically. In my chart, I have the sun and Saturn in the signs that they rule. So everything will either come back to the sun or come back to Saturn. I see. Sometimes you will have what's called a mutual reception, where one planet is in the sign that's ruled by another planet, which is in a sign that it rules. They bounce back and forth between them. Yes, and mutual reception we discussed in another episode that I'll link in the show notes. Yeah. So as long as you don't have a mutual reception and you have one planet that's in its rulership, then you end up with this idea of the final dispositor. Yeah, because I've always wondered, with my chart in particular, everything sort of comes back to Mercury and Virgo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's in the (laughs) sign that it rules. And then I wonder why I feel super Virgo sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Because it all ends up at Virgo. It all ends up at Mercury. So let's go through the rulerships real quickly. Okay, yeah. So the sun, of course, is the ruler of Leo. The moon is the ruler of Cancer. Mercury rules Virgo and Gemini. Venus rules Taurus and Libra. Mars rules Aries and is the traditional ruler of Scorpio, so I use that. Jupiter is the ruler of Sagittarius and Pisces. It's the traditional ruler of Pisces. And Saturn is the ruler of Capricorn. So for Aquarius, we use the ancient ruler, which was Saturn. For Pisces, we use the ancient ruler, which is Jupiter. And if people want to use the modern rulers, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. And I use the planets 
I'm not a traditional astrologer, but with them, I agree on this point, which is I don't give them rulership over a sign or a house if that sign is on the house cusp. Mm -hmm. I've just found it more effective to use the traditional rulers. So the way I say is Neptune has an affinity with Pisces, but I wouldn't say that it rules Pisces. Okay. So if I'm doing this process that you described of finding the final dispositor, talking about what rules what, I would go with Jupiter for Pisces. Yeah. But we will have a little handout that people can get from the show sheets that'll be linked that'll show you what rules what so that you have that for quick reference. Yeah, and we had a listener question about this many, many weeks ago. And if anybody out there does have listener questions, they can ask us. Go to bigskyastropod.com, and that will take you to this episode. will be the first one up there, and you can go into that blog post and leave a comment there. That's probably the best place to leave those comments. Yeah. So the listener back in the day said, In today's episode, I heard you say that Mercury is the ruler of Gemini. Can you explain what this ruler thing is, and is it the same for everyone, or does it come from each person's birth chart? Does it change every day, or is it constant? Well, the planets, as we just talked about, have inherent rulership over particular signs. So no, it doesn't change from person to person, and it doesn't change from day to day. What changes from person to person is this idea probably of dispositor, or what ultimately is the ruler. Also, with the day-to-day thing, it's just that the planets out in the sky are going to be in different signs, and you're going to look at those rulers. Yeah. Another website that's very good, actually, is by my friend Christopher Renstrom. It's called rulingplanets.com. He also has a big social media presence. Okay. He does brilliant horoscopes. He is so talented, and they're all built around this idea of the ruling planet. So, for instance, if the sun is changing signs, and last week it went into Pisces, then we would say for Leos, that's a really significant week because their ruling planet, the sun, is changing signs. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. So we would say for this week, it's specifically a very important week for people who are ruled by Venus. So Libra people, Taurus people, people with a lot of planets in those signs, because their ruling planet, Venus, is making that aspect of Pluto. Nice. Okay, so have we done it? We've done it. Yay! We've done it. Episode 14. In the can. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you to all of you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. And if you like our podcast, please help spread the word. You can do this in iTunes by giving us a five-star rating and review. And also be sure to subscribe. You can also read show notes and full transcripts of the episodes and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. And please help keep the podcast going. Go to BigSkyAstropod.com and you can contribute as little as a dollar. It would really help us out. Yes. Just look for our cute little avatars in the (laughs) right-hand sidebar where it says support your local podcasters. Yes. And we would love that. Thank you. And just your notes and words of encouragement also mean the world to us. So thank you so much. So nice. Well, join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us and we'll catch you next time.